we uh, are glad you're here today. Thank you so much for being here. And, uh, uh, man, we, we had a, the first service was absolutely running over. We had so many people here. It was crazy. Um, and, uh, man, we're just, just a good morning. And uh, I think just the, the passage that we're in today, just incredibly powerful um, and all that good stuff. So uh, I'm excited about getting to share in that with you. Uh, I just want to say thank you, uh, first of all, to uh, to Doc and to Ben for preaching for me the last couple of Sundays to give give me be able to, for me to be able to take uh, a week off with my family. Uh, we went to a place in Florida called Amelia Island, um, and um, you know just kind of a just more not as touristy uh, destination, but uh, still knows how to serve me fish on a plate uh, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, beat, the beach beach was cool. We had like turtles on the beach laying eggs and all this kind of stuff. You know, that's pretty cool. So uh, kids were loving all that stuff. And we just were able to have a good time together, able to have a good time as a family. And, uh, man, it was needed. I, I'm, I'm just very grateful for it. So thank you for, thank you for allowing us uh, to be there and be able to do that and spend some time together. Um, and uh, we're, we're back at it. In fact, we're back in, back in Mark. Uh, in fact, if you want to get a Bible out and go there with me, uh, Mark chapter 14, if you don't have a Bible, uh, our ushers have Bibles, uh, and they'll be glad to bring you one. Uh, just uh, throw your hand up and let them know that you need one. If you need to borrow it, that's fine. If you don't own one, you can keep that one. We'd love for you to have it, take it as a gift, um, and uh, we'd like for you to, to be able to, to own your own. If you don't own one, please, please take that with you. Um, uh, also, while I'm thinking about it, uh, and while they're giving those out, um, we have uh, coming this weekend... Uh, this Friday and Saturday, uh, we've got a marriage conference here, and uh, man, I, I can't I can't tell you enough, you know, how much I believe in the time that we're going to spend together. Already, there's like 80 something uh, folks signed up for the conference and everything, and, and we'd love we'd love for you to come. Uh, and and even even if you're one of those people that says, uh, well, I'm not married, or I'm never getting married, or I'm never getting married again, or you know, whatever. Whatever it is, uh, if, for, if for no other reason, I promise you, for no other reason that you are able to give wise counsel uh, to other people, uh, godly counsel to other people who are going to be married or are married or whatever, um, you know, please, please come hang out with us. We're going to have a good time. It'll always, it's always a good time. It's what it says, $20 a person, uh, $30 for a couple. Uh, price includes book. Includes lunch. It's like legit lunch too on Saturday. Okay, it's like good food uh, and childcare. And I, you know, I've already made mention that the childcare is worth it. And I'm just waiting for to see if you know we have anybody that shows up and just drops the kids off and leaves. Uh, so uh, you know, please come back that night. <laughs> it's not a lock-in. Uh, they can't stay all. They can't stay all night. Uh, but uh, no, we, we'd love for you to come, love for you to be here with us, and uh, it, it should be a good time together. If, uh, if you uh, made the parenting conference we did last year, uh, the same guy, Paul David Tripp, uh, is teaching. It's a teaching, it's a simulcast thing, uh, and he's really good. Uh, he's just, man, he's just a wealth of knowledge and all that good stuff. So, um, you know, basically we pay uh, to be able to be a part of this and can show it one time kind of thing. And so, uh, anyway, uh, we hope you, hope you can make it. We'd love for you to be here. In fact, if you, if you want to, uh, if you haven't signed up and you're wanting to come, uh, you can literally sign up right now on your phone through uh, the app uh, that we have. Um, if you're not familiar with the app, uh, we've probably got a slide for that that can show you what the app looks like. You can go into the app store on your phone 
uh, and it looks like that thing. It's called Church Center App. Uh, you download that. You search 24 Church. Bada bing, bada boom. You can sign up for the thing, and you can sign up for everything else. You can see calendars and dates and uh, all that stuff. And man, there's there's a lot of stuff going on this fall. There's a lot of stuff going on, and and, and honestly, even just trying to schedule this thing uh, was not easy. But we tried to do our best to where. It wasn't interfer- interfering with football and all the things that we know uh, just kind of gets crazy busy through the fall and it could keep people from being a part of it. We just wanted uh, to try to get as many people a part of it as possible. So uh, that's where we are. Um, so yeah, I hope, hope that you can make that. That's this Friday and Saturday. And I think it ends on Saturday at around 1 o'clock or something like that. So, uh, But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's what's up. Well, hey, let's uh, let's jump into this. Mark 14, back into Mark 14. And Doc and Ben, I know, have have continued to carry us through Mark, which is awesome. Uh, I love when uh, we've got folks that are able to do that. And, and honestly, man, we're just so, we're so blessed with all the people uh, that we have here as a part of the body of believers that are capable of preaching and teaching and all that stuff. Uh, and I'm just so very grateful for that. Um, you know, that, that's one of the things that uh, you know I remember hearing a lot about when we were first starting a church. Uh, is, you know, like how do you know, letting other people come in and preach. And uh, man, we heard like some horror stories from some people. We got to spend some time with some pastors from very large churches, and they talked about, you know, it, it's real tempting to want to have, you know, sometimes maybe a, uh, somebody that is a believer, but maybe they're not strong in their faith, but you want to have them maybe because they have some notoriety, maybe they're an athlete or, you know, whatever it is. And man, they told, told some stuff. It was like, oh gosh, it kind of, and honestly, it kind of scared us. It scared us away from. Like having, a, if you if you kept track, which you probably didn't, uh, we didn't have anybody from outside 24 Church come and teach uh, for a long, long time outside of maybe a counselor friend. Uh, you know, I, I can't even think of, you know, who the first person was. But anyway, uh, now we try to invite church planters that we help support uh, to come so that you guys can get to hear what they're doing and work knowing that, you know, we're helping with that in some way, shape, or form and to be praying for them and all those kinds of things. Uh, but just to have you know people like uh, Nathan and Ben and Doc and uh, you know Benny, all these people that are able to to do this, just it's it's a it's a real blessing. So uh, anyway, um, so yeah, they they've been carrying us through. I know Doc talked about Passover. I know Ben talked through Lord's Supper last week, and then this passage picks up right from there. And I think that that's worth noting because otherwise it would seem a little weird uh, at the beginning of this passage if you're not keeping that in mind, like they're finishing up the first Lord's Supper, Jesus and the disciples. And then in the first verse here, you know, it talks about, you know, and so then they sung a hymn, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, what's that? Well, they sung a hymn as, you know, kind of closing out that time that they had together there. Uh, It's not just, hey, randomly Jesus and the disciples are like, hey, let's sing a hymn right now, although they might have done that. I don't know. Uh, but otherwise it might seem kind of weird. Uh, but, you know, kind of leading into that, this passage of Scripture is a passage that, you know, that brings about something that is something that I think that we as human beings uh, struggle with at times. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's this word alone. It's this word alone. You know, there are moments in life where we feel alone. Now, now maybe, maybe you're perfect, and maybe you never have felt alone in your entire life, and maybe you're fine. You know, I, had, I hung out with a friend of mine this week, and he's single, and he was talking about how, you know, he's, he's fine with being alone, being by himself, and he just bought a Corvette this year, and so he's just, he just you know, happy. And, of course, you know, we all know that stuff, you know, eventually kind of like, you know, it, it, it dies off, you know. 
And I just told him, I said, he's got some choices to make in life with people he's looking at possibly dating and things like that. And I just told him, I said, you know, I said, you've just got some decisions to make for yourself of what you think you want to do with your life. And what's that look like for you? Do you want to have a family? And some of those kinds of things. And so, um, but the funny thing about feeling alone is that oftentimes we feel alone when we are absolutely not alone. You ever notice that? You know, I don't, I don't know if, 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 that's, if that's ever hit you that way. It's hit me that way. I, you know, I've, I've, I, I don't hide any of the things that I've struggled with over the years. Um, and, you know, I, I've had moments even not so far in the distant past, uh, you know, where I've struggled with feeling alone. And, and I know, I know that's a lie. I know that I'm not alone. I, I'm married to the most amazing woman in the world. I'm definitely not alone when it comes to kids. And, and the truth is, the truth is, I have an amazing support group, an amazing group of friends who I know would be there for me at the drop of a hat. But somehow, that lie creeps in on those really hard days, doesn't it? And, and when it comes at us, man, it'll roll over us like a steamroller if we'll let it. We know how desperate and horrible it can feel to feel alone, even if it is a lie. And in this passage today, we're embarking in on this understanding that Jesus knew that He was going to be alone. And He is sharing that with the disciples. Now, one of the things that I'm thinking about as I'm reading a passage like this is this understanding that Jesus is, and I think this is really important for us theologically to understand, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's both, okay? He's both and he's both in one. You know, and I, I used to use Transformers and talk about Optimus Prime and like, you know, ro- you know fully robot and fully semi-truck and all this kind of stuff. Uh, student ministry days. I don't even know if that analogy is really all that great, you know, theologically standing. But, uh, you know, uh, you get the idea. And, J- and Jesus... Jesus being fully God and fully man means that he brings all of those things that would be true for someone that's fully, well, for the only person that's fully God and for someone that's fully man, he brings all of that stuff to the table too, except for the fact that he's without sin. And so for Jesus, as he's having this conversation with the disciples here today, you know, I I think one of the things that's interesting to me that I can't help but think about, is the emotional side of him being a man, sharing the things that he is sharing with them in this conversation. You see, we've just left out the, uh, from the Lord's Supper, okay, the very first Lord's Supper, he and the disciples have that, and we are at this moment, we can't get more on the heels of he is about to be arrested and taken away to be killed. So that's where we are in the story of Jesus. That's where we are in the timeline of Jesus' life. In Mark 14, verse 26, we have Jesus sharing with the disciples. Very small passage here. Let's read it together. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. 
Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. The disciples fully believed with all of their hearts, all of them apparently, that they would never deny Jesus. They would, they would literally be willing to die with Him if that's what it meant. But Jesus knew the truth. Jesus knew what was going to happen. And Jesus didn't just know what was going to happen. He told them what was going to happen. To the point of even detail with Peter of Peter, buddy, I love you. I know we're tight. I know we're close. I know you think you've got my back. But Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure that that ran all over Peter. I'm sure that he thought, what in the world? I would never in my life do that. It's funny how circumstances can change things. It's funny how like in a moment, we can make a decision that we know is not the right decision, but we make it because it's easier. And in the moment, we think, well, it doesn't really matter. The truth is, is Jesus shares with them this news that's hard news to be sharing with the people that are closest to you. I mean, think, think about this. This is Jesus and the disciples. This isn't like Jesus and some random people. These guys have been hanging out for several years now, traveling together, doing ministry together, going through all kinds of craziness, they have finally, through everything, come to the point where they truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, although I'm not sure that they really still fully understand what that means. I'm sure that they didn't, and that's okay. They didn't have, they didn't, you know, they just the timing, and we're, we're fortunate to get to see the whole, the whole of Scripture and get to see the whole thing all played out together. Uh, it's easy for us to kind of poke at the disciples and go, oh, they're idiots or whatever. But the truth is, I mean, you know, think about it. I mean, if you're in the same situation, we'd probably struggle to understand all of it too. Jesus tells them what's going to happen. And, and in, the, in the fully man part of Jesus, I can't help but think, how emotional was that conversation for him? Hey, guys. He's, what he's not saying is, hey guys, they're about to kill me, like in just a little bit, and so I want to get you guys together and tell you something real quick, and here's what I have to tell you. You guys are all going to give up on me. When they come for me, you're going to run for the hills. You're going to run for your lives. And he says, not only are you going to do it, but it's written. It's written. And so here's Jesus with the people that are closest to him at this point in his life, and he knows that they're all going to leave him high and dry. But yet, he's still here. He still loves them. He probably knew this from the moment that he met them. From the moment that he was telling some of them to get off the fishing boats and to come with him. He probably knew did know that this was going to happen all along. Think about that for just a minute. I mean, think about, think about just for a minute. 
if you had the ability to know that the group of people that you think is the closest to you that have your back, and and you had the ability to know they're all going to stab you in the back tomorrow, what, what is your response? What is your response? You, you'd be like, you'd be like calling, hey, we need, we need to talk. We need to get together. I want you to meet me up here at the dollar store. You ever notice everybody meets up at the dollar store parking lot? What's up with that? We need, we need to meet up, right? And uh, I'll, be, I'll be in the black suburban, you know, next to the lady selling the yoga pants for a dollar with the gas that costs $5. Never understand that. I don't know why I'm still talking in the phone, but whatever. <laughs> so, so, you know, but, you know, I mean, for us, like, I mean, for real, like, in those kinds of moments in life, we had that kind of information, like, oh, well, I'm heading this off at the pass. They're not getting me. I'm getting them. Like, I've already typed up a post. It's going on Facebook tonight. They think they're going to get me tomorrow. Uh-uh. Jesus, instead, spends years with these guys, loving them, caring for them. How patient has Jesus been with these guys? Like, over and over again, we have seen his patience and his humility and his care and his love for them. To see them through, to get to this conversation. Hey, guys, about to die. You guys are going to jump ship. It's okay because it's written. It's written. You see, he's helping us to understand something here, and he's helping them to understand something here, and that's that this has been part of the plan the entire time. And, and I've got to be honest with you. I mean, just the, the human sinner, you know, person who wants friends and close relationships and all that kind of stuff, and me says, why can't Jesus have some friends during the worst moment of his life? Why, why does it have to be this way? And I think it's okay to ask those kind of questions. Jesus would have to endure great trials and great sufferings, as would we. And he says to them, you will fall away. This was part of the plan. Talk about painful. And can you imagine in the greatest moment of need of your life, none of those people that you thought would be there are there. They're gone. Let's talk about it for just a second. In fact, let's take that passage. It says, verse 27, You will fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is quoting something. Do you know what he's quoting? Glad you asked. It's Zechariah uh, chapter 13, and we're going to read it together. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. And it says this. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Now, if we had any question, and by the way, this is long before Jesus is walking the earth, okay? This is a prophecy that is being foretold of something to come. 
strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. If we had any wonder as to whether or not this is talking about Jesus, all of that is out the window the second that Jesus himself is teaching it to us, you know? Like that, that this, that's where like Jesus is like, let me just connect some things together for you right now so that you don't have to worry and wonder. Like here it is, plain and simple. And it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And the shepherd is him. And the sheep, of course, is all of his followers. They will scatter. And then it goes on and it says, I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now i got to tell you, when I was studying on that this week, the first time I read it, I was kind of like, what? He's going to turn his hand against the little ones? He's going to turn his hand against like all the little kids? Like, what's up with that? He's not talking about little kids, but he is talking about children. He's talking about God's children. He's talking about his children. You see, he's talking about us. Well, then you're kind of like, oh, that makes sense. And then you're kind of like, oh, well, that doesn't sound very good. You know, I'll turn my hand against the little ones. So, you know, when, you know, the, the shepherd gets striked and then the sheep scattered, then God's going to turn against us. Keep reading. Verse 8. And the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut out and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. Now this is an understanding of us that not everyone will believe in Christ as their Savior. Not everyone will believe and make it to the kingdom of God. We, we, we have this understanding of that. This is flat out just kind of explaining, you know, that, that premise and that understanding. And then in verse 9, it goes on and it says, and here's, and here's what it's talking about when it's talking about, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. It says in verse 9, and I will put this third, okay, talking about his children, the little ones, I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. So, Here's the, here's the understanding, is that God isn't going to just give us some Cinderella story life, that there are going to be sufferings as a part of life. You say, well, man, that's, that God, he's just, he's just mean, isn't he? No. No. It's not that he's mean. It's that he knows better for us than we know for ourselves. Think about it for just a second. If you had nothing in this world to ever drive you back to God, what would your life look like? Would you be sitting here this morning? If your life was perfect, if you didn't need anything else, if you didn't need God, I mean, would you really be here? The truth is, is that God understands that we need Him. He is our Creator. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. And therefore, He sees where we need moments in life where we are put into the fire and we are refined like silver and we are tested like gold. And I don't know if you've ever seen that process. If you haven't seen that process, it means you have not been watching enough Gold Rush. <laughs> and that's a problem for you because that's the best show, minus all the language. Best show on the planet because, I don't know, there's just something fascinating about seeing a bunch of dudes with a bunch of heavy equipment digging gold out of the ground. I don't know. 
But in that process, they heat that metal up. You know, what seemingly is like little, little grains of gold or whatever. And they heat it up in this thing. And, and when they get so hot that it looks like molten lava, then they, they pour it out. But before they do that, a lot of times they'll skim the top. Because what's on the top at that point is the worthless junk. It's the stuff that's not gold. And then they'll pour it into a thing, you know, usually like a bar, so they can, you know, hey, look at my gold bar, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the truth is, is that we need that in our lives. Given over to ourselves, we're just, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And given over to ourselves to just do whatever, I mean, we'd, we'd find a one-way path of destruction. We would find ourselves in, in the midst of, of things in this life that would hurt us, that would be bad for us, sinful things that would destroy us. We don't want that. God doesn't want that. He loves us. He cares for us. He's like the parent that we need. He is the parent that we need that keeps us from running out into the street. Ask my wife about one of the most challenging things with having seven kids, and she'll tell you it's going to the doctor's office. Now, it's gotten a lot easier because our doctor has now invited us to park back behind the office with the employees. But our doctor, being in Ashland City and right on, right on Main Street there, uh, their parking lot, I mean, literally is right off the road. Like, you just turn right off the road into a parking spot. And when the door swings open on that van, and the youngest of ones who just want to, like, hit the ground and literally hit the ground running will take off right into that street, if not careful. And she has told me many stories of her grabbing our children out of the street before they get hit by vehicles coming by. This is what God the Father does for us. And He does it through putting us in the fire, allowing us to be tested. And He says, look at what He says, that coming out of that, he says, they will call upon my name. They will call upon my name. Isn't that the point? Isn't, isn't our life, isn't the point of our life, the purpose of our life, that we would glorify God in all that we would do? That to go through something is completely worth it, even if it's hard, if in the end it brings us to a place in our life where we will call upon Him by His name. And He says, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is God. My God. And I, if there's anything that I look forward to after this life, it is getting to hear the Lord call my name and welcome me in. I, I, can't, even, I can't even imagine. And I, and I think for us in this life, one of the greatest challenges we have is, is this statement true for us? Are we living a life that 
ex- exclaims to everything and everybody around us, Are we back? There we go. God says His people will say, the Lord is my God. And I think a question for us today, and, and, and let, me, let me preface this. I'm going to ask several questions. I am not interested in trying to guilt anyone today. I just think they're great questions for us to ask ourselves. I'm not into the legalism like guilt people into following Jesus. I hate that. That is anti the gospel, okay? But here's some questions that I think are just great for us to ask to ourselves. Like, are we a people that others would say that the Lord is our God? Here's a question. I didn't ask, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Him? I'm asking, do people see us as a people that would say that the Lord is our God in the way that we do life? Is He our God? Or are we making other things our God? You see, the, the, the trick is, we're all, you know, God created us worshiping. Like, we are worshiping creatures. We will worship something at some point in the day all the time. It, you know, I mean, you know, it might be you're worshiping the idea of a nap, Praise the Lord for a good nap here and there, right? Some of you don't know that, don't have kids. And, uh, you know, or it might be something else. It might be a title. It might be money. It might be, you know, and, and, and in essence, these things are not bad things. We can take good things and turn them into our gods. And that in turn becomes bad for us because no longer are we seeking Him with everything that we have. You know, will we stand strong when things get tough? The disciples thought they would. The disciples totally thought they would. I mean, they're, they're almost kind of fighting Jesus tooth and nail in the moment that He's telling them this and going, not us. Not us, Jesus. We're here. We're your boys. We're not going anywhere. They gone. Standing strong, sometimes in the smallest of ways, and what is right in following the Lord is the hardest to do. Sometimes that's with people that we love the most and how we interact or whatever it may be. I think one of the things for us to remember for the disciples is that this was part of the plan. Jesus says this to them. This is the way it's going to be. You can fight me and say what you want, but this is the way it's going to be. It is written. 
And so from the get-go, this is part of the plan. And again, I come back to the question, why can't Jesus have any friends at the worst time in his life? Why can't, you know, why can't, why can't the Father just throw him a bone? Like, let's just, you know, just hey, you know, let Peter hang out or John or somebody. John's a little more loving. Let's let him be around there. Whatever, you know. But no. But no. There's reason for that. Back to the question. Are we a people that others would say that the Lord really is our God? Or would they say other things are our God? If we ask our family members to be really honest and write down on a piece of paper, what is your God? What would they put with a clear understanding of what gods are, okay? Things that we worship. Culture is constantly shifting. One of the things that is shifting quite a bit is something, and, and please, again, not, I'm not interested in guilt here. I'm talking about something just to show an example of what we see sometimes things happening in culture and how our hearts changing affect our outward actions. One of those things being even just going to church. Going to church. I, I've, seen, I've seen some statistics lately of people being polled that were committed churchgoers, people that said they are committed to their church, they love their church, they're, you know, all that good stuff. And at the end of the day, the statistics, I've, I've heard two different ones, neither one is great, just to be honest with you. The first one is that the greatest percentage of people are attending church, they're calling themselves committed churchgoers, and they're really only going to church like once every six weeks. And then the other people, uh, the, other, the other poll, different polls, same thing, same scenario, done by different people, showed that those people were saying that they go to church once every eight to ten weeks. Not making it up, just sharing it. And I, you know, that, and that, that may not be true for you, hope it's not, you know, whatever it is. Again, the point here is not to guilt you into coming to church because anybody that's been around for 24 for a long time would know and will say, you know, this is not about church attendance. This is about our relationship with the Lord. And are we a people who truly can say, the Lord is my God? Or are other things our God? And I think that that is an indicator of what's gone on in the hearts of a lot of people, a lot of well-meaning people, a lot of people who uh, no doubt love Jesus, you know? But, but what's that say that, that we might trade off getting things done around the house versus like having our family with us to worship Jesus together? Like I, I, wa I want my kids to grow up like desiring to worship the Lord with the body of believers like we see in Scripture that we're called to do. And I, I, hope, I, hope that, I hope that my kids, when they grow up, I hope that they don't just see, well, Dad was a preacher, so we were at church all the time. I hope that they see what I saw in my dad, which is when I went to church and I saw my dad, I saw a man, and he's still this way, who loves Jesus, and he worships Jesus with all of his heart. And he could care 
a flying flip about what everybody else around him thinks. I remember, I remember when I was young being embarrassed my, by my dad with the way he worshipped. He'd you know, just randomly in the middle of service, he'd just, be, he'd just throw a hand up like that. He still does it he's, all the time. You know, he'd just throw it. You know, and I, you know, I'm always whatever too. But you know, I, 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 I vaguely remember like, kind of like in the middle of a service one time like bumping him like, quit. People, people are looking at us, you know, weird or something, you know? That's the greatest gift he's ever given to me. Me getting to see my father worship the Lord, and I know it's real. It's not a put-on, it's not a show. It's the real deal. And I hope my children see that in me. Paul talks about the things in this life as we often go through those sufferings, those tests, those trials in the fire. Paul kind of talks about that a little bit, but he also talks about like the things that he has good going in life. If, if, if you read this passage, and, and you don't, we don't have time to read all of it, but go check out uh, Philippians chapter 3. And at the very beginning, Paul like, gives this like, laundry list of like, things he has to brag about. I don't know if you've ever read that or not. But that's really what it is. It's like Paul's bragging list. And he's saying, I could be bragging. He doesn't say it that way, but I'm saying it that way. He's saying, I could be bragging about these things. And he has everything from the family he came out of to all the uh, credentials that he has, (coughs) all the stuff he's done. And he gets to the end of it and he says this. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share, here you go, share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul basically just says, there's a loss, there's a loss uh, bracket and there's a gain bracket. And he's like, you know, everything that everybody considers in the gain bracket, I put it as a loss. Everything that everybody says is a loss bracket, all those hard things that we go through, I count it as a gain for the kingdom of God. For the name of Jesus. And that's the opposite. That's the opposite of what this world wants us to buy into. I've said this statement before, I'll say it again. May we not waste our suffering. May we not waste our suffering. But may we allow God to use it for His glory. That everything 
hard that we've ever been through, that He would take it and use it to make Himself known that we would testify out of those things that God has brought us through them and He has brought us closer to Him and He has brought us through a fire to get rid of the bad stuff. And man, has He done that in my life. In 1990, in 1990, I was moving from my hometown where I had grown up, Princeton, Kentucky. I had grown up there first 12 and a half years of my life. It's really all I ever knew at that point. And my dad had taken a job. Uh, it was a ministry job, but it actually wasn't a pastor job. It was kind of overseeing a lot of pastors and that kind of thing. And long story short, uh, we moved to this place where we only lived six months. I'll be honest with you, it felt like, even still, looking back on it, I feel like we lived there for years. It was such a hard time of my life. It might have been the hardest time of my life, honestly, looking back on it. I mean, I've been through some hard, other hard times too, but I, as, as a kid, especially at my adolescence, that was the hardest time of my life, those six months. I went from having like all these great friends that... Uh, I always knew we were there, and man, we just clicked, and you know, we played sports together and all this stuff, to um, moving to this place, and having no friends, and ended up making one friend because we had, uh, my family, we're friends with another family, and so they had a son, and we became friends, we were pretty good friends, we didn't have a lot of like interests, but we still, we got to be pretty good friends, and, uh, and then I made, finally made a friend uh, that I went to school with uh, that was at the church that we were attending during that time period of life, which is kind of strange when your dad's pastor and you go to a different church and he's not preaching. Um, but we went there, made friends with this kid, and really thought this kid was a good, good kid. And let's just call him Ned, okay? And so Ned and I, I think, good friends, whatever. And in 1990, uh, I'm collecting baseball cards. Anybody else collecting baseball cards in 1990, by the way? Yes. Thank you, Rachel, for having my back. And I, knew, I already knew the answer to that, actually, for her. So, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but so in 1990, I'm knee-deep into collecting baseball cards. I, I'm talking about, like, I didn't even talk about this first service, and I won't talk much about it now because we don't have time. But, I, I mean, I, I was putting on baseball card shows at my school, okay? And, and, and that continued after we finally moved here and stuff. But anyway, I had Ned over the day that we were the day before we were moving, you know, we're packing stuff up, but, you know, my parents are like, hey, do you want to have anybody over? And I said, yeah, let's have Ned over, whatever. And so he comes over and hangs out, and, uh, you know, we're just chilling or whatever. And at the end of the day, he goes home, and we say our goodbyes and all that kind of stuff. And in 1990, one of the hottest things going in baseball cards was something called Upper Deck, okay? So in 1989... Upper Deck, this card company, comes out of nowhere and decides they're going to put out the best baseball card that's ever made up to that time. Nicest, best pictures, you know, all this stuff. And they were going to, you know, I think it even cost like, I don't know, a dollar a pack or something. I mean, we'd never seen, you know, those kind of prices before. You know, I mean, just crazy, crazy stuff. And they were looking for, and I know more about it now historically because of getting to read about what happened, but, you know, they were looking to like make a splash and they were looking for like a key player to have like the key card that nobody else had this card. And it would be like this foundational thing to like launch them into baseball card history or whatever. And so there's a new rookie coming up and, and not even really all that well known at this time. 
but they've been looking at him, they're checking the stats, and they're talking about who to pick to be this card, and they're going to make this person, whoever it's going to be, the number one card of the set, like card number one. Like it's, it's going to be like this big thing, and they come up with, you know, fresh out of, you know, you know high school and in the, in the minors and all this stuff, a guy by the name of Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. And Ken Griffey Jr. had this card that was a part of the upper deck set. It was card number one. And I mean, it was, it was the cat's meal. I mean, like everybody wanted a Griffey Jr. rookie. And in fact, I mean, he was so fresh. You know, that's how, look how fresh Ken Griffey Jr. looks like in 1989. I mean, he's so fresh in this picture, like, that's actually not even a real Seattle Mariners, like, jersey he's wearing in the picture. Like, historically, we know now, they, like, photoshopped the, the hat to, like, make it look like, you know, because there's actually the other picture out there now, and you can see it and stuff. You know, but, like, this is, like, this was the card. I mean, this is what everybody wanted. Christmas in 89, my parents bought me an 89 Upper Deck set. I'm sure as part of, like, hey, we're moving you across the country to leave your friends, and, uh, you know, hopefully this will, like, soften the blow or whatever. And so I got this factory set, unopened, whatever. Of course, I'm a kid. I'm cracking that thing open because I want to get the Griffey Jr. out. Ned comes to the house day before we move. Later that evening after he's gone home, I got something that's missing. Something's gone. Ken. Ken is gone. My Griffey Jr. rookie is gone. And, and, and so we make a phone call, you know, like, hey, hey, did you by chance, like, maybe accidentally slip my Griffey Jr. in your stuff while you were here? And, oh, no, okay. My parents called his parents later on, you know, hey, you mind checking? You know, no, we don't think it's here. It's like, oh, okay, all right. And I have to go on in my life without Ken. And we moved. And, you know, I... I was upset to lose the card because I'm 12 years old. But the thing that really bothered me is that it hurt me because I thought he was a friend. Friends don't do that. Friends don't do stuff like that to friends. They don't treat each other like that. And in that moment, I felt betrayed. <laughs> so, so trivial to when I see Jesus have this conversation with His disciples where He says, all of you are going to leave Me. All of you are going to leave Me. You're going to be gone. And I come back to the question, why couldn't His friends be with Him? Why does it have to be a part of the plan. Why must they turn their backs? Here's why. They couldn't do it for Him. They couldn't do it for Him. They couldn't be there because if they had been there, guess what? They'd have been killed too. They'd been killed too. And you go, okay, well Chris, well then that'd been part of the plan. No, 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 no. Think about it. Jesus spent three years investing in these guys for him to just be killed with him? No. What did these guys go on and do? What would God use them to do? Think, think about the guilt they have. You want to talk about some guilt? Like after the fact, like, oh my gosh, Jesus was right. We did deny him. We did leave. And God would turn even 
this terrible thing that they had done in this moment of turning their backs on Jesus to turn around and use their lives for the greater good of the kingdom of God. It is because of those disciples not being killed in that moment that we have the church. They went and started the church. Go look at Acts. And the bottom line is this. Jesus had to do it alone. Jesus had to do it alone. But thanks to Jesus, we do not. We do not. Not only do we not have to do it alone, but He doesn't want us to do it alone. He is with us literally all the days of our lives, from the moment that you believe and trust in Him to be your Savior, He is there every moment. It's not a Cinderella story because there's suffering and all kinds of stuff that happens. And Cinderella stories, you know, that's not, you know, it's supposed to just be once you get to the pumpkin stage, you know, it's just a matter of getting the glass slipper and then everything is fine and you live with the prince and everything's perfect the rest of your life. We're talking about we get put through a fire. And that's okay. That's okay, because it brings us back to Him. And in turn, brings us back to doing what we're supposed to do with our lives anyway, which is glorifying Him and making Him known that other people would know Jesus because they know us. Jesus had to do it alone, but we do not. And this morning, I just want to tell you that if you've never trusted your life, into the hands of Jesus. I'm telling you today, that's where you want to be. Nothing and no one can do for you anything like what Christ has done for us. He gave His life in place of ours. He took the death that we deserve for our sin that we might not know death, but we might only know life. Pretty amazing. God is... If God is speaking to your heart in that today, I challenge you to not ignore Him. Trust in Him today. Why put it off? Why put it off another day? Faith is exactly that. Stepping and trusting into something that you cannot see. And that first step is unknown. And there will be many steps unknown after that too. But you know what? He will lead you. He will guide you. And we don't do it alone, not just only with Him, but we don't do it alone because we have each other. We are the church, the body of believers that God has called us to be. May we be a people who trust in the one who had to do it alone, but may we trust in Him alone. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for what You have done for us. We don't deserve it. God, use us for Your glory. May our lives not only exhibit what You want it to, but God, I pray that it would shout to this world who You are. God, thank You. Thank You for allowing us the opportunity to have a relationship with You, to know You. Lord, 
Use us for your glory. Lead us as we go. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have. Lord, to know you, to trust in you, to be glorified, to glorify you. God, just just work through us and in us. Thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.